And different people tend to focus on different problems. For some, uh, what, what uh, takes hold of their mind is the global economy, or maybe it's the climate, or crime, or politics, or the decline of culture, these, these big issues. Or maybe it's closer to home. Forget about global economy. What about the economy at my address? Um, what about health? Broken relationships, all these things can consume our minds because they're just, uh, just, you know, we see these big problems in the world. But our biggest problem is not political, (laughs) it's not cultural, it's not even physical, but our biggest problem is spiritual blindness. The biggest problem with spiritual blindness is that it keeps us from following Jesus. We're designed to have a relationship with Jesus. True life is found in walking with Jesus. And yet spiritual blindness keeps us from experiencing that. In, in Mark's gospel, he addresses this most pressing problem, this lack of spiritual perception or insight. Um, in, our, in our portion of, of Mark today, we are kind of closing uh, the curtain on on Act 1 in the book of Mark. He's been all around Galilee. We saw the beginning of his ministry. Um, we saw how that developed. Uh, we, we saw Jesus being introduced as the Christ, you know, the Messiah, the Anointed One, and as the Son of God. We saw when he, he called his first disciples, and then throughout this whole first section, all around uh, Galilee, kind of uh, northern Palestine, um, we see the development of this group of followers We see Jesus going around from place to place, being good, doing good, and saying good things. That's just what Jesus does. And he brought his disciples along with him. And he'd often teach his disciples um, uh, about himself and about the kingdom. And when he talked in big crowds, he would typically talk in parables or kind of strange sayings and little stories and confusing uh, words. And then he'd take him away in private and explain more. Here are some of the things he, he taught. Uh, chapter 4 has several of his parables. Uh, the sower parable, he talked about how some will have hard hearts toward Jesus and his message. Some will have really enthusiastic uh, response, enthusiastic hearts, but then they'll be fickle and fall away. And others uh, will have receptive hearts and will grow. And by the end of this first act, we see that very thing happening. Some rejected straight out, some uh, embraced, and then they're just, you know, fickle, and some continued to follow him. In, in that same chapter 4, he told a story about a mustard seed, and the illustration there is the kingdom starts real small and it begins to grow, and that's exactly what we see happening by the end of, this, uh, of Act 1. We see this, this little movement in a little town on the edge of the Lake Galilee spread till even... Um, Jesus goes outside a Jewish region across borders, and he's famous there as well. As you see, it spreads and spreads and spreads. In one other story he tells, or or parable in chapter 4 about a lamp under a basket, he says this in verse 25 of chapter 4. He says, For to one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Well, it's a kind of a strange saying, but we're going to see that this is about to happen. Those who did not have, even what they had was going to be taken away from them. So at the end of Act 1, we see clearly that the greatest problem for both unbelievers and believers 
is spiritual blindness. And the greatest need for both the opponents and the friends of Jesus is spiritual sight or spiritual insight. So this morning we're going to look at um, just three things we need to know about the effect of spiritual blindness, what, what it does and what it means for us. We'll be in chapter 8, verses 11 to 26. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, you can follow along in one of the Bibles in the chair in front of you, and that's on 843 in those uh, pew Bibles. So the question, how does spiritual blindness keep us from following Jesus, living the life that we were intended to live? First of all, spiritual blindness leads to a refusal to see spiritual things. So this seems very simplistic. You know, spiritual blindness means we can't see spiritual things. But the key here is that it leads to this refusal, this, uh, this, this posture of the heart where we don't want to see spiritual things. And this is what was true of the Pharisees, starting in verse 11. The Pharisees came and they began to argue with him, that's with Jesus. They were seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. So the approach of the Pharisees tells us that Jesus, after his uh, Gentile excursion, is now back in Jewish territory. And the Pharisees come to him, and their purpose is just to argue with him, and they want a sign from him. Uh, the sign is not exactly the same word that's typically used for miracle in Mark. It's more of, a, of an authentication. They wanted something that was undeniably said that this is uh, of God. That Jesus is all that he says he is. They wanted something beyond a shadow of a doubt to prove that to them. And uh, perhaps they were looking for a specific kind of sign that Jesus would give him. But ultimately, their goal was not to learn anything about Jesus. It was to test him, it says. Uh, Still today, some people approach Jesus looking for a reason to believe in him. Hope beyond hope, if this were only true. And others approach Jesus or the concept of Jesus looking for a reason not to believe in him. We see this today as well. This was the case with the Pharisees. And here's how Jesus responds. To this uh, internal heart that doesn't want to believe. Verse 12, he sighed deeply in his spirit. And he said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And then he left them, and he got into the boat, and he went to the other side. So to this uh, hard-heartedness, this refusal to believe anything about Jesus, uh, Jesus responds two ways. And the first of all is he has this internal gut response where he just sighs a groan. uh, It grieves him when people turn hard-hearted against him. But his second response is interesting, is he just walked away, got in the boat, and took off. (laughs) He's like, that's all you get. I walked among you. um, I showed you the signs of of the kingdom. um, I I lived out the role of the Messiah in front of you. You rejected me, so uh, no more goodies for you. And uh, he just walked away. Spiritual blindness can manifest in this willful refusal to believe. Uh, They didn't want to believe. And this is certainly uh, true today. We see a lot of people who just don't want to believe. Uh, Sometimes it's because they just have too much invested in this world. (laughs) 
It's like, well, I've, I've spent the first half of my life, you know, investing in this thing, and now I've got to say that that was a waste. You know, now I've got to say I changed my mind. How foolish would I look? There's so much invested. Sometimes we're just too proud to bow the knee to another master, too self-righteous to admit that we need Jesus. For whatever reason, the Pharisees and people today often reject Jesus and don't want to believe in him. They're looking for a reason not to believe. It's like a, like a kid putting his fingers in his ears, and, you know, la, 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 I don't want to hear you, I don't want to hear what you want to say. If you've uh, watched uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, you might. Two of you have, that's good. The rest of you, don't bother. <laughs> There's this game, uh, little uh, kids like to play, where they beg for something, and then you give it to them, and then they throw it on the ground. Have you seen this, this game? You know, it might be, I uh, hear it's a little piece of, a piece of food, I think, or, or a toy. You know, it's like, scream, scream, I want that, and then you bring it to them, and then whoosh, they throw it. Uh, I, I have very little patience for that game. It's like, okay, sorry, it's on the floor. I assume that one day if I become a, a, a grandpa, I'll probably soften my heart to that game. I don't know. I'm just not, I don't want to make any predictions. But, um, but this is what the Pharisees were doing. We want this. We want a sign. Show us. Bring it to us. Do a, do a trick. Do something. We will prove yourself. And Jesus could do anything, and they'll, they'll just toss it aside. No, not good enough. We don't believe. We don't, we don't want that. Jesus didn't keep picking it up. Oh, well, let's go around this another way. What if uh, you thought about me like this? Or, no, what about this? Uh, he just got in the boat, went across the lake, said, no more for you. If someone is looking for a reason to believe, someone is, is open to the idea that Jesus is all that he says he is, there are, uh, honestly, a ton of great resources to help somebody think through those issues. Uh, there might be uh, some kind of uh, intellectual uh, hurdle, or there might be uh, kind of a philosophical hurdle, or how to reconcile um, God with the problem of evil in the world. Whatever it might be, sometimes these are you know real things to wrestle with, and some people have have wrestled with these things for for centuries and have some really articulate answers for a lot of those questions. Here here's some that come to mind: uh, Tim Keller's "The Reason for God." Or Lee Strobel's journey that uh, he presents in The Case for Christ. Or William Lane Craig, Reasonable Faith. And then, of course, the classic C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. Um, These are just really valuable tools for someone who has questions and is considering Jesus. But if somebody is just coming looking for a reason not to believe, these will do no good at all. It's because they do not want to believe. So if you're encountering that, maybe you have a friend or a loved one or someone you work with, and it's just dead end, um, let's take the lead of Jesus. Don't keep arguing. <laughs> Don't keep um, pestering. Keep, keep poking. Just keep praying. <laughs> Sometimes some space needs to happen. Don't just keep Casting the pearls before the swine. Not that I'm calling anybody swine. I'm just quoting somebody else who did. 
So spiritual blindness leads sometimes to this, uh, this posture of the heart where there's a refusal to see spiritual things, and this is what the Pharisees were doing. But the thing is, we see in this next section, it's not just the skeptics, it's not just the opponents that struggle with spiritual blindness. Even those of us who believe, <laughs> even those of us who are committed to Jesus, we, we, uh, this whole thing, this church is really important to us. We call ourselves Christians, we claim the name of Christ, we too can have a problem with spiritual blindness. So secondly, spiritual blindness, it can lead to a focus on material things. Not always is it this outright, I am not going to believe, but it's this, uh, this internal shift where we just are focused on things that are temporary instead of things that are eternal. Uh, so here's what's happening as Mark just launches us right into uh, the next episode, so to speak. They, they're crossing the lake, verse 13. And, uh, and by the way, verse 14, they, they forgot to bring bread on this trip. And Jesus takes this opportunity while they're in the boat, uh, just he and the boys um, traveling across the lake. He takes this time to tell them some really important things. Hey, the crowds are gone. The pests of the Pharisees are gone. And now, hey, I just want to tell you something that's super important. Verse 15. He cautioned them. He said, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Notice all these, um, all these phrases that just set us up for Jesus saying something important. He cautioned them. He said, watch out. He said, beware. Like, wait, this is going to be really important what follows. Uh, we saw, take kids down to Mexico uh, every year to build houses. And uh, we do it in this old school bus that the church used to have. Some people call it a prison bus, but I think it really came from a school. And it had, it had this PA, and mostly just to entertain myself, I would just talk on the PA all the time. You know, hey, what? A, and I, I might just point out things that are happening outside or, or give some, you know, a little pointer tips or something. But sometimes I'd have something really important to say. And, and one year, kind of early on, um, I just kind of prefaced it with, uh, hey, whenever I say important information to follow, I'm going to say something important. Well, it was this amazing, like, Pavlovian thing that happened when I could be jabbing around about, you know, hey, look, there's some, you know, stray dogs on this side. Oh, wait, important information will follow. And everybody just gets quiet and, oh, hey, nudges, hey he's going to say something important. And I'm like, wow, this is incredible. I better say something important. So, uh, so in here in Mark, we see it's set up. This is going to be important. Pay really close attention. And here's what he says. Watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Well, leaven, that's like the yeast or starter dough to make, um, to make leavened bread. And, and it's a metaphor for something that starts real small and then it, it kind of takes over. It grows and, and expands. Uh, often, the biblical metaphor is a negative one, and, and not, but not always. In this case, it is. Because there's these two great threats that Jesus warned uh, his followers about. The leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Well, the Pharisees were all about this uh, religious uh, legalism. That's, that's something that creeps up in us now. A, uh, a, an attitude that's, you know, the mindset where relying on being good enough to be right with God. This is pervasive. 
a little bit of this philosophy can take root and expand and expand and take over. It could take over families. It could take over churches. It could take over uh, denominations, whatever. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And beware of the leaven of Herod, you know, the so-called king, this, this idea that uh, the answer is, is about power. The answer is about politics. Beware of that. That'll, that'll ruin you. Jesus was giving this solemn warning. Beware. Watch out. Be careful. This, this mindset will just take over and destroy you. And all they heard from Jesus' comment was leaven, mmm, bread. And they just started thinking about bread. It's just such a weird conversation. Jesus says this really important thing, and then verse 16, and they started uh, discussing with one another about the fact that we had no bread. Oh, we forgot to bring bread. I wish I had some bread right now. And they just like went off on that track. Their minds, like ours, tend to go quickly to the physical and the here and now rather than grasping the spiritual things of Christ. And so, again, here's Jesus' response, 17 and following. Jesus, aware of this, he says to them, "Uh, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? In other words, I was not talking about bread at all. I was using a metaphor about leaven. Uh, Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? He's using some of the same language uh, from Isaiah that he applied to the Pharisees earlier on. Uh, So he's lumping the disciples right with those who reject him. You're acting like people who don't even follow me. Verse 19, or or the end of 18, do you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Their fixation with the here and now, all of a sudden, ooh, bread. Then they're gone. They were acting like those who have uh, no spiritual life in them, who do not walk with Jesus. Uh. Matthew, his record of the Sermon on the Mount, um, records these words of Jesus. Uh, This is from the, the New Living, I believe. He says, so don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. This is the concept that we need to grasp. I like that phrase, uh, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. Well, it's not that we, we never need to you know, think about, like, oh, I, sh- I should wear something, or you know, I-, I need to eat something. That's fine, we're... We're made to, uh, to need those things. But when it dominates our minds and we go there at the expense of spiritual things. The kingdom of heaven is far more uh, substantial. It's far more permanent. It's far more important. And it's far more real, if we could say it that way, than this world here. It's just far more <laughs> than this world here, the kingdom of heaven. 
And it makes me think sometimes we look like this. Have you seen the, the virtual reality glasses? So there's this thing going on in virtual reality, and people, uh, their whole bodies interact with it, and it just, looks, it just looks silly because they lose sight of what's more real. They're caught up in the, the virtual reality. Well, you take that a step further, that's, that's how we act when we forget that the kingdom of heaven is far more significant and real than all, all this stuff that goes on here. We start acting like, uh, like this is all that matters instead of the kingdom of heaven. Here, here's some ways that this poor spiritual eyesight uh, kind of gets us messed up and off, off track. We start focusing our resources on temporary treasures versus eternal treasures. You know, we, we have some money and we immediately think of all the here and now things we can invest in. You know, oh, I could go out for a nice meal, or I could have this neat little trinket, or whatever it might be. Uh, instead of thinking about, you know, the kingdom and the Great Commission and how we might invest in that as well. We, we see it in how we focus our prayers on temporary problems versus eternal problems. We start um, hyper-focusing on the things uh, that are here now, the, the physical rather than spiritual. What, what do we pray for our families? What do we pray for our friends? What do we pray for ourselves? Is it primarily the physical things or is it primarily the spiritual things? What do we, what do we go to the Lord and ask for our children? That they would um, be happy, successful, um, get good jobs, um, etc.? Or do we pray for their souls, for spiritual things? But kind of all-encompassing is where we focus uh, our thoughts. Do our thoughts just linger on temporal anxieties? Or do our thoughts linger on eternal securities, things that are certainly true and eternally true? When we focus on temporal anxieties, we have all this what ifs. What if, what, if, what if the economy crashes? What if the cancer comes back? What if the check bounces? What if we run out of bread to eat? We didn't bring bread on this trip, did we? And Jesus shakes his head. Do you remember the 12 baskets? Do you remember the 7 baskets? If you're supposed to have bread, I can handle the bread. This is not a problem. You just keep thinking about bread. And honestly, I'm having this problem right now, actually. But uh, I'll try not to take you there. <clears throat> I'll try not to go back to that slide with all the bread. So we marvel at those who just reject Jesus. You know, why don't my friends follow Jesus? You know, it seems simple to me. Let's just do it. And yet at the same time, we have our own kind of spiritual blindness when we focus on the here and now. Uh, Colossians 3, 1 to 2 uh, says this, if then you've been raised with Christ, uh, if you place your trust in Christ and have um, become a child of God and been made a new creature, creature, then seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things of this earth. Kind of another way of just saying what Jesus did in Matthew. So even for Committed believers, spiritual blindness can lead to this focus on material things. 
So the bad news is that we're all susceptible to this. <laughs> uh, in fact, the more sure that you're immune to this problem, probably the more in danger you are of having uh, spiritual blind spots in this area. So up to this point, if this sermon has sounded to you like, um, like you immediately want to just apply it to somebody else, oh, I know how they're so spiritually blind, um, this, I want you to shift in your mind and realize the bad news is that we're all susceptible to this. The good news is that spiritual blindness is curable. (laughs) We'll see this last section. Jesus actually performs an actual physical miracle where he restores uh, somebody's eyesight. This is in verses 22 to 26. Um, Again, another miracle healing that demonstrates Jesus' compassion and power. It's fantastic. He heals a guy who's been blind. But... It seems that this miracle is placed right here in in Mark's narrative for the very reason, besides showing Jesus' compassion and power, it also illustrates the problem and the solution of spiritual blindness and spiritual deafness. So we have the what we just read was Jesus calling attention to the disciples' spiritual deafness and blindness, where he says, you know, you have ears, but you can't hear. You have eyes, but you can't see. Do you not understand? He, he makes his big point about this. Well, this, uh, this uh, episode, this piece of the narrative, is sandwiched between a literal uh, healing of a deaf man and a literal healing of a blind man. And uh, those two accounts are very similar. It's kind of the same uh, same sort of pattern. The friends bring them and beg. They, Jesus takes them away in private. Uh, Jesus touches them. Uh, Saliva is involved in both stories, so they're kind of real kind of parallel. And right in between these two miracles is Jesus' conversation about, uh, can you guys not hear? Can you guys not see? It's so besides the healing that's taking place, I think there's an enormous lesson that's being made, a point that's being made. Uh, let me just read it. And they came to Bethsaida, you know, they finally made it across the lake, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again and opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. So I just want us to notice a couple of things. One is uh, all this parallels that I, I kind of mentioned to the healing of the, uh, the deaf man. It's the uh, same kind of scenarios happening here. But the second, I think, is really significant is I believe this is Jesus' only uh, two-stage miracle. His only, he healed him partway, and then he healed him the rest of the way. So typically, you read all through the gospel accounts, when Jesus heals somebody, it's just like, bam, it just happens. And it's complete. Um, Even something like like leprosy, um, not only did it stop the disease, he was made whole, that kind of thing. It's just complete. But but here, we see Jesus, you know, healing him, going through this, um, this procedure, so to speak, and, uh, and Jesus asked him, you know, how did that work? He's like, well, kind of better, but not, you know, I'm not really healed yet. People look like, like trees. They're supposed to look like people. And so uh, I think the lesson for us here is that the disciples 
and you and I, we need a two-stage miracle of restored sight. We need God to open our eyes to receive the gospel. Like the Pharisees who totally rejected, we need God to open our eyes so that we can embrace him. That doesn't come from us. We, we only love Jesus because he first loved us. We need the, the veil lifted from our eyes so we can even come into a relationship with God. But secondly, we need to daily renew our cloudy vision. And God does that as well. I think Jesus was making a point to his disciples that, you know, you're only half, you can only half see. You need a two-stage uh, solution to your spiritual blindness. First uh, Corinthians 13, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we'll see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. If you have trusted in Christ as your Savior, you're no longer blind, but you do not yet see everything clearly. <laughs> There's more to learn. There's more to explore. There's more blind spots that need to be uh, corrected. There's more transforming that needs to happen in all of us. In, in Paul's second uh, letter, or what we call 2 Corinthians, uh, 3.15 to 18 says, But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. I think that's stage one. (laughs) The veil has been removed. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. So what can be done with this problem that we all uh, are up against of lack of spiritual insight or degrees of spiritual blindness. Well, one is we need to realize that we don't yet see completely clearly. You do not have it 100% figured out. There is more for all of us to learn in our journey with Jesus. And second, we need to invite Jesus to heal our spiritual blind spots to continue the transformation. Opened eyes, but not 100% clear, that that fact leads us to a posture of humble trust and dependence on Jesus. It's not all of a sudden, oh, now we're so brilliant, we figured out everything because we're Christians now. But it's a lifelong process of being transformed by Jesus. Um, Just very briefly to go... uh, a uh, grammar nerd for just a second, that being transformed is a, is a uh, passive verb form there. In other words, it's something that happens uh, to you. <laughs> it's the same verb form and the same verb as in uh, Romans 12, uh, 1 and 2, I think it's verse 2 of uh, be transformed. In other words, it's not something you do to yourself. He doesn't say transform yourself. You're not quite spiritually there yet, so transform yourself. Study harder. Read another theology book. Go to another conference. Listen to another sermon. Just be better, would you, please? Transform yourselves. No, he says be transformed. There is a cure for spiritual blindness, and it always comes from Jesus. 
he might use all those tools, the sermons, the books, the conferences. He could use all those in his hands. But it's Jesus that does the transforming. So what should we do about our tendency toward blind spots? I, I think Paul Belushi <laughs> said it well in the worship song, Open the Eyes of My Heart. You familiar with that song? This should be the prayer of us all. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. We just ask the Lord that. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. I want to see you high and lifted up. You know, to to grasp more fully the significance uh, of the cross when Jesus was lifted up on the cross. I want to see you shining in the light of your glory to grasp more fully the glory of Christ. Pour out your power and love. You'll be transformed by, by Christ's compassion and his, his mightiness. So we sing, holy, 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 I want to see you. Uh, Jesus is so otherworldly and so perfect, so pure. He is holy. It's going to take a lifetime to, to begin to grasp that. So fortunately, we have all of eternity to keep singing, holy, holy, holy is Jesus. This is the whole point, I believe, or the main point, I believe, of the book of Mark, is that we would see Jesus more and more how he really is. And so Mark just tells us the story of what Jesus did and what he said and how people responded to him, the way he interacted with people, so that we might see Jesus more and more as he really is. So our biggest problem is not political, cultural, physical, but it's spiritual blindness. And our biggest need is to be continually transformed by Christ. The curtain closes on Act 1, emphasizing this great need for us to uh, have spiritual insight. And uh, how this is a problem for both those who follow Jesus and those who have rejected Jesus. And we see in Act 2, as we'll start in in a few weeks from now, um, the rest of chapter 8 and then into 9 and 10, Jesus does this very thing where he takes his disciples on the road, on a road of discipleship, and instructs them and corrects them and trans- begins to see transformation happen in his, in his followers. And so we'll get to go uh, along, for the, along for the ride and, uh, and uh, participate that in that as well. So the cure for spiritual blindness is the same whether you're a Pharisee or a disciple, (laughs) whether you've refused until now to trust in Jesus, or whether you've been following Jesus, but you just tend to get kind of sidetracked with things of this earth. (laughs) The cure is the same, is to cry out to Jesus and and, uh, ask him to to, uh, give us spiritual insight. Or we could say the main challenge as we go out today is just plead with Jesus to open your eyes. Open your, your spiritual eyes. Give you, give you spiritual insight that we might daily know Jesus better and better as he, really, as he really is. And then we'll trust him more. We'll love him more deeply. We'll be just quick to obey him just because it makes complete sense to do that as we begin to know him better and better. I'll invite Kevin to come back up and, and lead us in the... In the um, in a song that we sang earlier today. Um, then after, after that, I want to invite you to stay around for, um, for the quarterly meeting if you have a few minutes to, 
to spend with us, to give some highlights of that time together. But let me right now just pray for us.